Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Mike Janela Show. I'm Mike, obviously. This is podcast episode number 28. Hopefully it won't be my last. And we have with us this week an awesome guest, fresh off of a dominant National League Division Series. Uh, it's not Clayton Kershaw, but the next best thing, AJ Casabell. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? I, uh, I, I like to think that I dominated that series the same way Kershaw did, but uh, that'd be hard to match. <laughs> It'd be hard for anybody, but I think you did a very good job. I know AJ is with uh, MLB.com. He is, by day, the beat writer for the San Diego Padres, but was just at uh, the NLDS covering the Dodgers and the Nationals as well. Um, so AJ, maybe this is before we dive into anything. I like to start the podcast off on a good note, on a good foot with every guest. Maybe being part of that series is maybe your answer, but I always ask everybody now, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? This week? Hmm. Uh, the series was awesome. Um, I'll say, uh, my, uh, my cousin, so I'll put that at number two, game five, in my opinion. I know a lot of Padres fans will probably listen to this, and they don't like the Dodgers one. But game five, in my opinion, is one of the best, uh, one of the most tense. It was the most tense game I've ever covered, and it was really cool just strategy-wise. Uh, the decisions that were made, Kenley Jansen coming in the seventh, Kershaw coming in the ninth. I'll put that at number two. The coolest thing that happened to me, uh, my cousin, who also lives out here in San Diego, uh, I was able to get back in time for her surprise party yesterday or actually I believe it was yeah it was Saturday for her surprise party Saturday and uh like I did she attended Penn State as well and her surprise present was a bunch of her friends all chipped in 25 bucks and got her a plane ticket and a ticket to the Penn State Michigan State game at the end of the year so that was uh that was the coolest thing that's happened to me this week it was, it was she uh it was pretty special she kind of broke down in tears and was crying and it was it was it was awesome. And plus, my aunt flew across the country to see it, to see her. So uh, I'll go with that as number one in the National League Division Series as a close second. That's a that's a lethal one-two punch, man. That's pretty good. You had yourself a solid week, I think. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so, it's, been a, it's been a good week. <laughs> nice. Well, now you get to kick it and relax a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, Well-deserved now in the off season. But, um, yeah, let's talk about... I mean, I want to cover a lot with you because I think we have a lot of stuff to get to. But um, let's start right there with uh, the the DS that you were at. You know, you just covered it. You were in L.A. You were in Washington. So now, obviously, you're a you're the San Diego Padres beat writer, and each of those teams have their own beat writers as well. So tell me, tell us a little bit how how does this MLB like beat writer network function? Because it's obviously you guys are you know you're not sort of independent media, but you kind of are, and everyone has their own sort of system on a team-wide basis. Uh, explain to us a little bit how that sort of fraternity works. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the one in, the one aspect in which we kind of have an advantage is numbers. And so if you go to any any game, we'll have – if the Padres are playing the Cardinals, well, the Padres will all be there and the Cardinals writer will be there. And the cool thing with how that works is we can trade quotes back and forth. So I think some of the more local media that focus on the Padres will get the Padres' perspective. I don't know if you, if you read uh, the way our postgame coverage works every day. It's um, it's essentially we combine to write a game story that gives perspective from both sides, and we'll get quotes from both from both teams in there and perspective from both teams in there, and then we'll each write write two or three stories pertaining to our own team. And so uh, essentially, for what happens in the playoffs is uh, there's the ten obviously beat writers for the ten teams that make it. And um, each they put two people on each team, so there's they have a pool of 20 teams to pull from that didn't make it. And essentially, for this uh, 
for this last week, I was backing up with the Dodgers and also helping out with the national coverage. Our, our Mets writer was backing up with the Nationals and also helping out with Dodgers coverage. So, I, like, like I said, I think the biggest advantage we have in our coverage is that we have so many numbers, so we can kind of uh, – it, it, it's really a team effort. I think, uh, I think if there's one thing MLB.com does a good job of, it, it, it's combining our efforts and making sure we have every angle we could possibly think of covered. You mentioned the sort of the post-game coverage you guys do during the season, which it is pretty cool in the way you guys do it, sort of little nuggets about each game as opposed to a traditional uh, straight gamer. Do you find that because you have to work so closely with your counterparts from other cities, other teams, that you guys are kind of, I mean, already the media is sort of its own fraternity. Then you have the beat writers who are the ones that are on the charter or on the planes together and the press boxes together. And that's a fraternity within that. Do you feel like there's even a more exclusive club of just you MLB.com people? Cause you guys are the only ones who know what you're going through. Well, I mean, it's, it's definitely like something to kind of bond over the way we, the way we cover games and stuff. And, and I, I mean, it's, we're, our, I wouldn't say like we're any more special than any, any other media there, but it's just, it's just cool to like, uh, I guess, I, I guess I'd say it's cool to, uh, really understand what we like that, that we all kind of understand what we're going for and the fact that we have to work together on these things a lot of especially in the postseason or the regular season like i said we we write a game story uh we're kind of on that together and other than that we'll write two or three sidebars that are exclusive to our team now during the postseason uh pretty much every story we write has perspective from both sides in it so uh, for instance, the other day I wrote a I wrote the story about Jason Worth being thrown out of home plate in game in game six, the, which, in my opinion, is one of the worst sends by a third base coach you'll see. But that's besides the point. Anyway, I I went to the Dodgers clubhouse and, and spoke with Andrew Tolles, who started the play, and uh, Corey Seager and Yasmani Grandal, and I had help from uh, our Nationals writers who were in the other clubhouse. They talked to Jason Worth and third base coach Bob Henley. So it's really a team effort. It's my, that is my byline on that story, but I, I can't do it without the other guys. And that's something I think we have an advantage in. And I think in that sense that we're almost, we're, we're a pretty tight knit group because it's not a solo effort like it is in some other aspects of media. Uh, we'll get, we'll get back to that. Cause I, that does interest me a lot, but uh, very quickly, and we'll talk more Padre specific stuff later on for sure. But what was it like going from a Padres team that was, out of any contention by basically May uh, to all of a sudden within a couple of days, like shifting gears to uh, these two teams in the, in the playoffs and covering that and shifting into postseason mode yourself. Was that any kind of uh, weirdness of getting, you know, competitive game rust off or anything like that for you? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, the difference would be if I were maybe writing the game story, which I wasn't doing, but I'd say the Padres, the Padres beat in maybe late August, got kind of got kind of dry and then uh it certainly it picked back up and so uh in terms of it, it, there there is something to be said that i that i really enjoyed maybe asking about the specific strategy questions of certain games which like you said the podcast maybe weren't as relevant after june 15th or whatever um <laughs> was that the specific game that so, you circled so, on your calendar what's that oh, i don't know i just, I just <laughs> made that up i think June it was probably more more around June one. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It, it it was nice to to focus on. The, I mean, because in my eyes, baseball, football is a great strategy game, obviously in a different way. Uh, but baseball is is there's so much thinking that goes into the process, and I really didn't get to 
and and that wasn't necessarily as important as development with the Padres, obviously. So then heading into the National League Division Series, which you know, in my eyes it was one of the more intriguing strategy series of all time, just in the in the, in the sense of what Dave Roberts did in Game Five, and uh, I thought Dusty Baker managed four games really well, and then maybe didn't do as much in Game Five. Uh, so that was that was cool for me. Yeah, and I would imagine they're just shifting gears because, like you mentioned, the Padres by the time you know June one or whatever date you pick came around. Uh, it was what what decisions are best for our future right now, as opposed to where you went to that five game series. It's what's the best for today, and uh, certainly for any any novice or amateur, that's maybe a hard thing to grasp. But for people like you, I'm sure it was just uh, it was awesome to kind of get to experience that. Um, let's go back to so sort of the differences between your role and those of other you know contemporaries of yours. So. Because to me, someone like, let's just use Dennis Lynn as an example, who's a great, you know, reporter, the Padres beat guy for the, the UT. And you guys are kind of the two that were covering the team on a daily basis, uh, beat writing wise for this season. How would you think that, how would you say that your job differs and is the same from his? Well, uh, that's, a good, that's a really good question. He's, uh, he's obviously a fantastic writer and reporter. Um, I think his job uh, probably focuses a little more on the team aspect outside of the outside of the ballpark, and mine focuses a little more on the the day to day events that are happening on the field. Um, but it, for the most part, we cover the same things. Um, and obviously, in in our in our styles and our company's styles of the way they want us to handle game stories and that kind of thing, there's kind of a major difference. Uh, I, I described that earlier, but it's, essentially, our game stories are. Uh, they're not so much game stories as they are four or five paragraphs as to, as to what happened, and then like almost a bullet point format after that, uh, kind of breaking down those moments. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd say we're, we're more similar than we are different, but there are some things that are uh, that that we that aren't necessarily the same. Obviously, he's working for a newspaper, and I'm working for for an online website. Uh, my website is also run uh, as part of Major League Baseball Advanced Media, uh, and so there's 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 certain I don't know sales or ticket promotions or whatever that we need to get into the website. Um, I don't really do any of that, but it's part of our coverage, it's part of the site. So uh, it's there's there's some differences, but for the most part, we uh, try and do we we do most most of the same things. Do you wish you had a little bit more of sort of that outside the ballpark uh, directive or that leeway to do more investigative uh, journalism? Or do you like focusing more on just what's happening in between the lines and making that the sort of uh, the main focus of, of what you're doing? Well, I don't, I don't have no leeway to do that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I like uh, kind of the way MLB.com goes about its coverage entirely. And uh, I know that sounds like me being a company man for saying that, but <laughs> I, I really enjoy the way we, uh, the way we cover things and the way the directive that we've, we've gotten to, to pursue on the field and also off the field stuff. So I, yeah, I, I know that's just me being a company man and it is my first year here. So I like, I guess I, I don't know anything else <laughs> yeah, other than sure. MLB.com. Uh, Cause I've worked here for six years, my first year covering the Padres, but uh, obviously I probably still wouldn't be here after six years if I didn't enjoy the way we cover baseball. All right, no, I'm with, hey, trust me. From someone who's been accused many, many times of uh, just towing the company line, I can know where you're coming from. But I can tell, and knowing you somewhat, that uh, 
it's certainly genuine and authentic. Um, all right, so you mentioned, let's talk about your history a little bit, because you mentioned your first year covering the Padres day-to-day, but you've been with MLB.com already for a pretty long time. So uh, you mentioned you went to Penn State, okay school, you know, not bad. Um, so from there to where you are here. Oh, Syracuse. <laughs> give us, uh, we'll talk about the, you know, uh, former football, 90s, college football dynasties uh, later. Um, give us the quick LinkedIn, sort of uh, the sort of resume page from how you got from, you know, college senior A.J. Casavell to where you are today. What would have been the steps in the process? Well, MLB.com does a um, does a, a yearly internship. Thirty thirty different people uh, get a or thirty different people are interns, one for each team. I don't know if you know uh, if the listeners will recognize Carlos Colazzo. Uh, he was he was my associate this year. He did a fantastic job. Uh, but essentially, each team gets one each each beat writer gets one associate reporter every uh, every summer. And uh, Carlos did a fantastic job this year. That was me in 2011. And uh, so essentially what happened was uh, I applied for that position in college. I got it. I spent that summer working for MajorLeagueBaseball.com. And, uh, and then after that, uh, they, they kept me on, and I worked overnight shifts. And so essentially what they said was you can live, you can live anywhere uh, if you work overnight, if you work these overnight shifts. And they were no fun at all, but I worked two overnight <laughs> shifts a week while also doing three days a week of news desk, which is kind of kind of like any any breaking news or whatever. It's my job to write the first like the four paragraph real quick story before the reporter can kind of write through it and and turn it into something uh, something with more substance. Uh, so I did that kind of thing. I also did a lot of research, uh, which I've really enjoyed. That's I mean I'm kind of a baseball research geek, so that that to me that was one of those one of the more fun things that I got to do in the job was I remember, and this is just one example, but uh, last year um, put together a chart of all the, uh, of all the postseason winning probabilities. So each team's record when they're up two one in the series, or when they're up three, one in the series, and then go back through every season. And I came up with this chart that gives you all the percentages and probabilities that a team would win the series if they're up by whatever the score is in that series. And so that kind of thing, that kind of uh, just like, you wonder like oh where did they get those stats that kind of thing that is <laughs> this guy that's where they got people doing stats. my job yeah <laughs> so and i and i really enjoyed that um and so i did that for about four years uh and then i stayed in that role two days a week but i also worked production um like website production uh another two to three days a week with com and uh, essentially, so if you remember Corey Brock, the person before me, I was doing what he is doing now, which is editing my stories, copy editing, adding videos and pictures, and making the Padres website look good. So, uh, so yeah, so that's the, I guess the brief rundown of the last six years of my working professional life. So, what was it like once this opportunity came up and Corey Brock would cover the Padres for what was it nine years? I think uh, in your position now, uh, who'd become sort of an institution yeah. locally. Um, so when he decided, you know, it's time for me to to shift gears and get out of this beat writing position, how was that? Were there external candidates that you had to compete against? Were there internal candidates? What was that sort of internal promotion or application process to go from what you were doing to now this? Because it's a pretty pretty good gig. I mean, if you're going to be beat writing and covering a team day in day out, getting to live in San Diego is a pretty you know good incentive for wanting one of these jobs, one of these thirty gigs. What was that uh, sort of competition like for you? 
Well, I think the biggest thing that I had going for me was the fact that, like, I had I lived, I, like I said, I when I took the overnight shifts, I could live wherever I wanted. And I, so, so I did that two nights a week. And three nights a week, I worked news desk shifts. And that was that entailed all the kind of stats research, some live game day uh, stuff, some Twitter, social media, whatever. But I worked that from San Diego. And so I kind of developed a decent enough relationship with some of the people in San Diego. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'd say that helped me more than anything else was, was my location prior to getting this job. And so there were other internal candidates. And I'm sure, I, I don't know for certain, there were other external candidates, but I'm, there, there may have been. But um, I guess, fortunately enough for me, it just kind of seemed like the national, natural progression that someone who had uh, some minor relationships with people in the Padres could, could kind of continue over into, uh, into Corey's shop. So that, that's AJ Casimo's biggest career tip for anyone listening that wants to do this is move wherever you want to work eventually, and then it'll just happen for you, right? <laughs> I mean, I never, I never <laughs> necessarily decided I wanted to work in San Diego, but I got out here, and sure enough, I have no plans of moving. So. Yeah, and why would you? It's, uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, did you feel any pressure replacing Corey, who had become really a cult figure around here? I mean, he was a little bit in spring training still covering the team before you kind of took the torch. Um, was there any trepidation for you trying to replace this sort of local legend? Uh, I think the, the the reason I'll say no is because I had Corey in my corner, and, and, and whenever I had a question, like, I'll, I'll still do it. Usually, the most part is travel tips and, like, beer recommendation. Uh, <laughs> he has plenty, but, he like, has plenty I of those. I can ask, I can ask Corey. Yeah. And that's, that's very Corey Brock. But if I have a question, I can ask him. And so, I mean, I think with anyone who's taken a new job, uh, especially one that they haven't done before that they've kind of like looked forward to having for basically their whole lives. Like, yeah, of course there's a little bit of nervousness, but uh, it was awesome. And, and I know a lot of the beat writers for the other teams too, uh, from having worked at OB.com for five years. And I think that was a, uh, like having Corey in my, in, in, uh, having Corey have my back, and having all these all this just this just like wealth of resources, it just made it so much easier for me. Whenever I had a question, uh, there's like no trepidation to ask any of these these people, and it was it was a, it was a big help. So yeah, I was nervous, but it was not it was in, it was almost in a good way. Uh, more just being excited for a baseball beat writing gig than anything else. Well, the the hosts seem to accept you because from what I gotten from the fan reaction and from the other media around here, uh, it was a seamless transition, and now it's like you've been around here for forever. So kudos to you and and having a good first season. Uh, let's shift gears to let's talk some Padres current event stuff because I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this uh, are listening to get your perspective on some stuff. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of lack of stories uh, covering this team, even though they were out of contention so long ago, and now into the off season. Um, the Mike D stuff, uh, I guess probably the biggest headline of the off season so far, uh, anything new that you've been hearing as to reasons behind the departure or any next steps or anything like that? The reasons behind the departure, the, the departure, I'm still kind of, uh, still kind of feel a little in the dark. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I, I feel like at some point things will, 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 will gain a little more clarity, but, um, I, I, it could be an accumulation of things, uh, of, of kind of the, maybe the, the negative PR that's gone on in the past season. But um, I would say uh, going forward, the, the interesting thing I think is uh, quite a couple of people tell me this is not, this is not necessarily something they're looking to resolve right away. I think the biggest thing you'll see with the Padres is they may take a, they may use this to take a step back and reevaluate what they want out of a team president, uh, what they want from someone in that role. 
Uh, I think that could mean uh, almost no involvement in baseball operations uh, with, with A.J. Preller directly reporting to the ownership group. Uh, in terms of who might be a candidate, I'm not sure, but it sounds like this is not something that they're looking to resolve in the next week. It could be something that stretches on throughout the offseason. It's one of the things I think a lot of people who maybe don't know that much about the minutia of baseball front offices, they don't realize that a team president can mean very different things from one team to another. So I think that's oh, a yeah. very, that's a very yeah. important point you bring up about knowing what that role means for a certain organization before they can act on it. Um, so bringing it back to you personally, obviously during the season you have your routine. You show up at the ballpark at X o'clock. You go to the Andy Green pregame presser. You've got a game to watch. Or you're on the road. You have your routine. Now in the off season, when something, you know, you don't have a, a ballpark to go to every day. When a story like that breaks or you're trying to do your research and talk to your sources, how do you, how do you work that now versus if this story would have dropped in the middle of July? Well, a story like that, it's almost, it's almost pretty much exactly the same, except I don't have to battle being at the ballpark. And this one broke while I was at the Burbank Airport flying back to uh, Washington, D.C. for Game no, 5. There you go. So, yeah. So, uh, that was fun. But uh, essentially, what it comes down to is uh, it, 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 you just need to, fortunately, I have enough really, really helpful editors who kind of understand. I, I was supposed to work on a couple uh, national stories that day, and I... I just essentially said, hey, I need to chase this this Padres story. And uh, I got one of those stories handed off to another writer and one of those stories that it meant to wait until later in the day. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's all about understanding what takes precedence news-wise, having new, new judgment. But for a story like that, which is so off the field, it doesn't really change at all from, from it being regular season to it being the postseason or for it being to the offseason. Uh, there are certain stories that where this where, – where it's obviously very different, where every single day – uh, I, I have a uh, every single day during the season. I have a press conference with Andy Green or two two news conferences with Andy Green, where I can pepper him with questions maybe about Tyson Ross or Jared Cosart or whatever else. And now during the offseason, you don't necessarily have that. So uh, it's interesting. It's it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, I've obviously never covered an offseason as a beat writer. I got the job in spring training, so I'm I'm excited to kind of learn the ropes of that. Yeah, it's just wake up, watch the prices right, and then just hit the phones. It's kind of uh, lather, rinse, repeat. Um, what else are you looking forward to with this team now in the offseason or heading into next year in terms of covering it? It's obviously, this Mike D story and his replacement will be probably the headline story of this offseason. Uh, but there's also all your typical hot stove stuff. What can we expect, you think, from the Padres between now and opening day 2017? Uh, I have no idea. And the <laughs> thing is, uh, yeah, I'm glad and, I brought you right. on the show. <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, it's we we all know AJ probably likes to make trades. That's probably the understatement of the year. Yeah. Um, but their roster seems kind of kind of I don't want to say set, but it seems like they kind of have the young pieces to want in place. So what kind of trades? And now with Tyson Ross's surgery, he's obviously the big trade ship. I don't know who's going to want to trade for him coming straight off shoulder surgery. That could be something next for next year's trade deadline. But no one's – I can't imagine anyone trading for him during the offseason. If they do, I can't imagine the Padres' return would be what it would be at midseason. So it's it's almost like – it's almost kind of odd in the sense that you have a guy like A.J. Preller who loves to wheel and deal who I can't see any major trades taking place. That said, he has found a way to surprise us in the past, and I would not be shocked if, if some sort of trades happen. But for me, the biggest, the most exciting thing going into the offseason is because it seems like the pieces are in place 
for the future. It's kind of who wins these position battles, who who jumps onto the radar in terms of in terms of the, the, the Padres, uh, the Padres' future it could start day one, 2017. Well, which players are a part of that right away? Does Manny Margot make the opening day roster? Uh, does Hunter Renfro? I, I kind of got to assume that he does. Uh, who starts at second base? That's fascinating when you when you look at what Ryan Schimpf and, and Corey Spangenberg have done uh, in the past. And then obviously you have Carlos Aslan, who I think is a uh, he's a very good hitter. He could use some work on his defense, but uh, He's in the mix. There's just, it's just, I can't recall a team having this many question marks. If you look across the diamond, uh, Will Myers at first base is probably the only person who's stable on the, uh, in the opening day lineup. Now, John Harris Solarte will start. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, contemplated moving him to second base, maybe Ryan Schimpf to third base. Uh, Ryan Schimpf looked good at third base in the last couple weeks of the season. So Solarte will start. So it's really Will Myers and Harris Solarte at seven other players. We have no clue who they will be. So to me, that's the most exciting thing about the offseason. Yeah, no, it's very interesting, especially compared to for, for longtime Padres fans, the last two offseasons where they were very different um, from what this offseason will be, where, like you say, everything seems set, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and just seeing how the pieces shake out. But knowing the pieces themselves are basically what you see is what you get between now uh, and April. Um, all right, AJ, we got a question, uh, our question, big fan question from Twitter, uh, and it's something that I'm sure you're sick of talking about, but uh, you probably saw this. It was in your mentions as well. Uh, old buddy Chad <laughs> wants to know, if it's not Dippin' Dots, what is the future of ice cream, AJ? Uh, the future of ice cream is ice cream. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with ice cream. Ice cream does not need to be futurized. Ice cream is already one of the greatest things known to man. There's uh, no reason to put it in tiny little dots that are frozen and taste horrible. So this hit, for anyone who's unfamiliar, unfamiliar, this hit fever pitch in like August, I think. Um, Basically, Carlos Colazzo, who you mentioned earlier as your, your associate for the summer, um, it was, he was basically just trying, like trumpeting the, the virtues of Dippin' Dots, right? And you wanted nothing to do with it. And it kind of became this running joke between you guys all season. Is that basically, do I have it right? Yeah, that's essentially what happened. I'm trying to remember how it got started, but man, I like, I, I do, I just do not understand the appeal of Dippin' Dots. It's like, if you could have ice cream, why you would ever choose Dippin' Dots is beyond me. Yeah. Well, ice I'd- cream is. Why Perfect. bastardize ice cream? Delicious. With, yeah. So that leads me, I guess, to a, to a bigger question, because obviously when you're covering a baseball team, this is a 162-game season, and you're on the road, and you're at home, and some of these games, some of those Padres games were epically long, or you have a 7.40 p.m. Friday night start time, you're going to get a lot of these conversations, right, just to help pass the time in the press box as the year goes on. Uh, everyone kind of knows about the Dippin' Dots thing because it bubbled to the surface uh, public attention. Any other good press box convos or debates or arguments that you had this year that you think maybe should be put out to the court of public opinion? Uh, well, there was, the one, there was the one where I kind of upset some people in San Diego by saying Shake Shack is better than In-N-Out. And uh, I stand by that. Now, I just clarify, I love In-N-Out. I love In-N-Out Burger, but I just think Shake Shack's slightly better. It's not like I would ever turn down an In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> uh, and, and ultimately, I think the burgers themselves are really, really close. I'll just take the fries at Shake Shack and the shakes at Shake Shack ahead of the ahead of both both of which at In and Out. So, uh, so you made it basically uh, into one, a three game series. Yes, 
Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I still I still think I'd take the Shake Shack Burger, but it's just so so close. So I'm, I might make that a tie. Okay. And then and then Shake Shack wins the other two categories. So two zero and one to Shake Shack. Controversial. Now, that's, that's Controversial. Very, that's, yeah, it's very unpopular, and I probably shouldn't be bringing that up again. <laughs> um, I believe there were. I, I got several hashtag fire Cassabells after that one. That yeah, fun. delete your accounts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, for the record, I would disagree <laughs> yeah. with you. Being a New Yorker myself, I actually prefer In and Out over Shake Shack. I like the Shake Shack shakes, but the burgers and the fries are more In and Out guys. So anyone who hates AJ okay. for his opinion, you can come on my bandwagon. I will welcome you with uh, arms wide open. Here's what I'll say about the shake. In and out, in and out fries are, are great. In and out burgers great. Shake Shack burgers great. Shake Shack fries are great. Shake Shack shakes are great. In and out, I don't even think their shakes are very good. So wow. that to me, I mean, obviously Shake Shack, you have shake in the title. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a really good shake though, and uh, and In and Out just doesn't just to me it doesn't doesn't get the job done there. So uh, I think. The fries and the burger are very good in In-N-Out. In fact, I actually, last week, flying back and forth between Los Angeles and Washington, uh, I ate on consecutive nights Shake Shack and In-N-Out. Very healthy. It was a very healthy. You, you, are, you are a beat writer, a caricature right now, a stereotype come to life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's, a post, it's a postseason, so I figured during that 10-day stretch in the postseason, I can eat whatever the hell yep. I want as long as I'm, as I'm churning out four or five stories a day. Sure, whatever gets so, you through. Uh, yeah, and and so I had them on back to back nights, and and I didn't even get the shake at In and Out Burger, uh, just because I didn't want it because it's not it's it just it's as bland a shake as you're gonna find. The burger is fantastic. The animal fries are fantastic. Slightly below, I think, the cheese fries at, at Shake Shack. But if you disagree with me, I wouldn't argue about that. But if you tell me the shakes at In and Out are better than the shakes at Shake Shack, then I would then I would take some offense. That's the hill that you will die on. All right. Uh, let him know at AJ Casavell on Twitter, uh, your opinions on his opinion on that. Um, all right, AJ, we like to end every show with uh, the fun five, but before we do that, I'm trying something new with guests. I'm calling it turn the tables. I'm giving you the opportunity. If you'd like, you don't have to take it, but to ask me any question that you'd like. So would you like to use that opportunity? Yeah. How's, uh, how's Syracuse going to be this year in basketball? Oh, we're going back to the final four, man. Are they? No. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know anything about Syracuse. No, basketball. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, they, they're losing a couple guys, um, you know, mainly Malachi Richardson, who kind of got the national press in that postseason run last year. Yeah. He's gone. But they're he getting – Yeah, he okay. gone, he's gone. But Roberson's back. Tyler Lydon's back. Uh, they have this kid, Andrew White, a transfer from Nebraska, who was their best player, who's a fifth-year senior, I think, uh, coming in. And uh, Beheim always gets the best out of his, uh, his freshmen. So – uh, I'm thinking maybe a Sweet 16 run this year. I'm comfortable going that okay. far. Cool. Yeah. I uh, the one the the baseball off season runs perfectly with the college basketball season, and so I am I am looking forward to kicking back and watching some college basketball at night this year. Uh, yeah, it's going to be sick. And state hoops will not be very good. Uh, <laughs> I will admit, my sister is. Uh, my sister went to Villanova, so I have some rooting interest there. I would not call myself a Villanova fan. I'm not a front runner like that, but I, I do pay attention to their games, and and they'll be interesting again. Um, and uh, actually, uh, Villanova national championship game was my first was on was on opening day this year. Yeah, and, yeah, you're uh, right. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if listeners want to hear this story, but uh, we this is how I found out Villanova won the national championship game. Obviously, the opening day happened. The Padres lost. 
fifteen oh or whatever it was, and I went back upstairs to write my story. Well, the game's on in the press box, but it's on mute, and everyone's kind of I'm I'm not really focused on the game, I'm trying to write my first game story and get that out of the way, and uh, everyone else is kind of watching, and I t- I tune in with about ten seconds left, and Paige hits that three pointer, and uh, sure enough, right then, as soon as he hits the three. The press box TVs go out. The whole power, all the power in the press box. Goes oh out. man! And so everyone's just there, kind of like wondering what's going on. We don't know what happens. And all of a sudden, about two minutes later, we just hear like downtown San Diego just erupt. So we're all like, "Well, something crazy just happened to end this game." Uh, sure enough, get on Twitter and find out. And yeah, so that was that was my first day of the regular season on the. Uh, on the Padres beat. Oh, that's brutal. That was the Padres telling you to focus on Padres coverage only. You do not you do not get to watch anything else while you're writing about uh, <laughs> a, a Clayton Kershaw opening day shutout over the uh, over the Friars. Um, all right, cool, AJ. Oh, well, like I said, we end everything with the fun five, so it's five fun questions, kind of apropos of nothing, that are tailored just to you. Uh, you mentioned the press box. Let's start right there. Give me your favorite press box in baseball now that you've gotten to uh, be a daily beat writer. Mm. That's a really good question. Uh... Food-wise, honestly, Petco Park might have the best press box food. Oh. Um, my favorite press box in baseball is probably, off the top of my head, San Francisco. You get a fantastic view. You're really kind of close to the action. The thing I like the most about San Francisco is it's, is it's the, they have the first deck, and then the press box is right above that, and it's not too far back either. So you're more than any other press box in baseball, you can see the movement and the action on the pitches. It's something I really, really like as a – just as a spectator, but also it's something like if, if I'm watching, I remember I, it was in San Francisco. I don't remember when it was. It was probably one of those games in May was when I kind of first realized how good Brad Hand was because I was kind of so low to the field that I could see the bite on his slider and like his break on his curveball. And that's not something you can see at National Park where the press box is way at the roof of the building. So San Francisco to me is, if you combine the view you have, because I think it's a fantastic ballpark, with the uh, with where the press box is located and the way you can see the pitches and the break on them and the movement, I'll go with San Francisco. All right, but with Petco Park's food, uh, a close second carrying that press Petco box. Petco Park is a great press box. Petco Park is easily top five press boxes. Oh, nice. There you go. We'll have to get the full. You have to do one of your patented charts or your patented, uh, you know, analytics for all the press boxes, ranking them uh, one to thirty someday. Um, all right, AJ. Question number two. You just covered a great one, uh, Game Five of the NLDS. You were there in person. If you could have covered, so been there in person for any baseball game in history, which one would you have chosen? Ooh, that is a great question. That's all the um, kind of questions that I ask on this show, AJ. Get used to it. Probably. Uh... Jack Morris, John Smoltz, Game Seven in 1991, or, or just even even Game Six and Seven of that series with the Kirby Puckett walk-off homer. That uh, that game, that 1991 game, is pretty special. And uh, I, you know what? I don't have a Hall of Fame vote yet, and I don't I don't purport to think I know about players that I didn't watch because in 1991 I was not yet. I mean, I'm sure I was watching it, but I was three. So, <laughs> it's, uh, but I don't. But I, I think there's something to be said about playoff performance in Hall of Fame voting, and people do not in baseball for whatever reason. People kind of tend to ignore that, and uh, I think I think Jack Morris, based on what he did in the playoffs, won the Hall of Fame. And I think from what I've heard, the stories of that game. I I, I told you I think Game Five of the NLDS, the most tense game I've ever been to. I've heard that that it's not even close. That Game Seven of that 1991, 1991 World Series. 
is uh, is the best. I also wouldn't mind seeing the Carlton Fisk game six in 1975. Yeah, good answers, good answers. You can't go wrong with either either one. Um, all right, question three, AJ. Your favorite sports writer, so the person that you love reading the most, could be baseball, could be any sport. Who do you love reading the most right now? If you answer hmm, yourself, right if you okay, answer well, yourself, I, I'll give you ten dollars. What's that? If you answer yourself, I'll give you ten dollars. Uh, yeah, there's this really great writer out of San Diego. <laughs> no, uh, uh, baseball-wise, I, I obviously love reading Tom Verducci like everyone else. Um, uh, I think uh, Tim Brown with Yahoo Sports does a fantastic job. His Game Five story on uh, on uh, the Dodgers Nationals game was the best baseball story, the best game story I've read about baseball this year. Um, in terms of uh, overall, uh, this is kind of random, and I'm sure listeners have not have never once heard of him. But uh, Dave Jones, who works for the Patriot News uh, and Penn Live in Central Pennsylvania, covers college basketball and college football. Uh, he is someone I pretty much every after every single Penn State football or basketball game I make sure to read him because he brings in some pretty fascinating insight. Uh, he's uh, he, he's up there. Um, I love reading Dana O'Neill for college basketball. There's it's, there's I can't really pick one. If I had to, I'll say Verducci just because of the detail he gets into his stories. Sure, right. and and he's someone that everyone's seeing a lot of now on a national stage, TV wise. But people tend to forget where he makes his bones, and it's with the written word. He's, he definitely does uh, what he does better than anybody else. Uh, question number four, you've alluded to your Penn State uh, love and following them this year. The one big story that I know about Penn State is Joey Julius, uh, their terminator of a kicker. How much would it cost you, AJ? How much would I have to pay you for you to block Joey Julius on a Penn State kickoff return? Uh, you, I would rather eat Dippin' Dots. <laughs> He's uh, and here's, here's I, I, I mean, I know most people, my, my, most people probably know basically that Joey Julius likes to blow people up on kickoffs, and then the last two weeks he's gotten someone ejected for taking a cheap shot at him. Uh, I've I've seen the sen- sentiment kind of out there that like, hey, if you're gonna hit someone, you got to be ready to be hit, which I think is complete garbage because he's ready to be hit, but both the times where he kind of got laid out on a cheap shot were about five seconds after the whistle, so. It's it's different, and he's uh it's been fun to watch him this year. It's it's amazing. My my youngest brother went to Penn State, and that's I just text him every weekend. Something happens with Joey Julius. It's like, man, I can't believe this guy. That's <laughs> that's become like our big topic of conversation this fall. Um, all right, AJ. Last question in the fun five. It's Halloween season, couple weeks away. I don't see you as much of a Halloween costume guy, but I'm guessing in your youth maybe you were. What's the best Halloween costume you've ever worn? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I was Ron Swanson a couple of years ago, and I think I actually pulled it off pretty well from uh, from Parks and Rec. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I think I think I pulled that one off pretty well. I remember being Fred, Fred Flintstone. Uh, I still have that kind of like that that whatever it is that shirt that he has uh, packed away in the closet somewhere. So uh, I'll say Ron Swanson, and then Fred Flintstone a close second. I need to see pictures of this uh, immediately, but uh, no, nice one. I can definitely see you pulling that off. All right, AJ, uh, you've given us plenty of time, man, so it's your off season now. I want to let you go and enjoy it and kick back. Uh, last one, who's winning the World Series this year? Who's, uh, who's your pick? Oh, man. Uh, it's, I, I just don't see anyone beating the Cubs, and I was sitting there watching game three of that NLDS where the Giants came back and then won it 15 innings or whatever it was, 13 innings, and the Cubs just looked – 
at the time they were winning, they just looked so so hard to beat in kind of all aspects. And I'm sitting there thinking something's going to go horribly wrong. It's just too easy that this team, that this Cubs team, is the one that breaks the streak. So I'll say the Cubs, but I'll also say I will not be surprised if something goes horribly wrong. And you know what? If the Dodgers take find a way to take two out of three at Dodger Stadium, which I don't think they will, and they go to Game Six with Clayton Kershaw on the mound, uh, then well, I don't think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. I don't think they're deep enough by any stretch. Uh, but I could see them. I think they might have the best chance of beating the Cubs. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, because with most championship teams, you have to go through that trial and tribulation for a couple of years. And, you know, Jordan's Bulls going through the Pistons and the Celtics is kind of the most famous example. And I just, I haven't felt mm-hmm. all Well, season- I mean, the Red Sox, the yeah. Red Sox losing that series to the Yankees. Yeah, right, exactly. Right too. It's, and it's, I just, you, don't just, you don't just get to win it. No, and I just feel like, and people will argue that the Cubs last year, you know, losing to the Mets in the, in the playoffs is what that is for them. I just didn't feel at any point this season like that was enough of a tribulation for them to go through to now just be handed this World Series this year. So maybe there is still something, a shoe to be dropped. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. It has looked very easy for them. Um, All right, AJ, anything you want to plug, Twitter handle, websites, anything like that for anyone listening? Uh, I mean, yeah, just keep an eye on Padres.com throughout the offseason. We're going to have coverage. uh, For now, until the end of the World Series, it might be a little lighter. We'll let MLB.com focus its resources on the playoffs. But as soon as the offseason starts, we're going to have coverage uh, almost every single weekday. So just keep an eye on Padres.com. Other than that, I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, you gave us plenty. So AJ Casavelle, Padres beat writer. Thank you very much, man, and enjoy that offseason. We appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. And for those of you listening, make sure to head to MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of The Mike Janella Show, plus info on where to find AJ online and also some of the information on the great outro music you are hearing now. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to AJ Casper for coming on, and I promise we'll try and do better next time. See ya.